Let's pray this morning. Father, as we gather here together, God, we just pause this morning to just say thank you. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for dying for us. God, thank you for loving us. And God, this morning, we can boldly declare, I am a child of God because of the love of God. And so, Father, this morning, we give our love back to you. God, this morning, we tell you we love you for who you are. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love towards us. And God, we thank you for all that you do for us. And this morning, Father, we come boldly into your presence. And God, we ask right now that you would just begin to touch your people. Father, for those that are struggling right now with, God, desperate needs. God, those that have been struggling, Lord, in their bodies with, with cancer. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would just begin to touch them and restore their health. God, that you would begin to, to shrink every tumor, that you would dissolve every cancer cell. God, as they go through these treatments, Lord, that you would supernaturally give them strength and that their bodies would recover and rebound quickly, Lord, that they would have strength and energy, God, throughout the day. Father, we pray that the doctors would begin to marvel and ask, I don't know why, I don't know how, but you're doing better. And God, we'd be able to boldly proclaim it's because of Jesus. And so, Father, we pray, touch your people today. God, those that are in need, God, with a touch, Lord, whether it's a liver or kidneys, God, that you would just begin to touch their organs and that you would, God, just help them to, to begin to function properly in the way that you've intended, God. God, may you supernaturally, God, revive these, these livers and these kidneys. God, we pray for those that are struggling, Lord, with, with back pain or feet pain or, God, whether it's severe headaches, Lord, we pray that you would touch your people. God, that they would be able to, to move without pain and discomfort. God, that they'd be able to walk and run again. God, the Lord, that they would be able to bend over and pick up things without any pain. God, that they would be able to just function without any discomfort. And God, we pray that you would touch them and bring healing. And God, for every aspect, Lord, that we, every need that we have, God, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, God, whether it's emotional or financial, God, we just ask right now that you would just begin to minister to your people. God, that you would touch them and bring healing, God. And God, that you would do a miracle in people's lives today. And God, we just pray right now that you would be with us. God, that you would encourage us, that we would find strength in your word today. And God, that we would be changed to be more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship the Lord, will you follow on the screen behind me uh, the scripture passage today found in Ephesians 4? It says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. 
don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Amen? Amen. I'm so glad to see you this morning, and um, I uh, want to congratulate the Michigan fans, and my condolences to the Spartan fans, and ask you to pray this week, because our big game, the Georgia-Florida game, is this weekend. So there'll be some folks feeling like some of you feel either highly elated or highly depressed, but um, we did pray for you last night in the prayer service. I don't know if you've ever thought about how we calculate time, how we look at time. As Christians, we look at time in a very unique and very different way. You might not realize that how Christianity so changed how we view time. As Christians, time for us is centered in Jesus Christ. Western civilization was built upon that fact. After Christ's resurrection and the triumph of the gospel, one author, Rodney Stark, he wrote a wonderful book called The Triumph of Christianity. And um, it's a lengthy read, but it's a good read if you ever just want to take a book and work your way through it. But we measure time in Jesus Christ. We take a certain point in history, Jesus, and we start going forward and adding a year to every year to calculate time in history. Then we go back to Jesus, and we start going backwards, and we add a year to calculate time in history. My Jewish friends, and I've talked with some of them about this, they begin with what they have set and established is the day of creation, and that's how they count time, and that's why when you look at a Jewish calendar, it looks a little different than ours, and they'll be into the thousands of years rather than 19, I almost said 1918, 2018. Chinese do the same thing. The Chinese calendar takes a point where they believe time was created, where history began, and that's how they began to calculate time. We're going to talk about changing my destiny this morning. And the thought of changing my destiny was a really challenging title for me to put on this passage because we have looked carefully at some of the greatest theological concepts in the book of Ephesians, of who God is. And now we're applying those truths to our lives, who God is, what the mystery of God was, Christ, the church. And applying that to our lives from the book of Ephesians because the Ephesians 
I had forgotten after 20 years who God was and who they were. As a matter of fact, the early church, about 15 years after the birth of the church, they forgot who they were. And James wrote a very stiff, very difficult book. As a matter of fact, such a difficult book, those of you who grew up Lutheran know that, that Martin Luther really struggled with whether the book of James ought to be in the canon of Scripture or not. He finally came to terms that it should be, but he struggled with that because James takes on the early church 15 years later because they have forgotten who God was and therefore who they are. And so when we talk about making much of Jesus, blessing the Lord, praising the Lord, thinking upon Him, it's your beliefs that shape your destiny. It's your beliefs that shape your future. And so James writes to them and he says, where's all these problems? Where's all this fighting among you coming from? He says, you have not because you ask not. And then when you do ask, you ask consumptuously rather than asking in light of who God is and who you are. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is take this passage now as we continue the book of Ephesians, and you go, why is Paul having to tell the church not to lie? Christians don't lie, do they? Christians don't steal, do they? Christians don't get mad and hold grudges against each other, do they? Well, of course they do. We see it happen all the time. There are people that... Just somehow or another, they name the name of Jesus, but they've never learned how to live in this marvelous destiny that God has for us. They never learn how to appropriate what God has given to us. I, in my devotions this morning, boy, I challenge you, not challenge you, encourage you, go read Psalm 73 this morning. God talks about in Psalm 73, and you know, sometimes you'll read something, you go, wow, Lord, that was not just for me, but that was for the church, so it's not on the screen. But in Psalm 73, David says, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Glorious. Boy, Rick, when I look up at the heavens at night and see the stars and track the planet sometime, especially when I get outside of this metro area and it's dark, like you see when it's camping, or I'm in the mountains, or I'll never forget the first time seeing the Grand Canyon just being overwhelmed by that thing. I'll never forget the first time, you know, looking at the mountains as a child and just couldn't believe how immense they were. And then when I look at a, 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 a picture from outer space taken from the, from the Hubble telescope, there are glorious things that God has done. What could be more glorious than nature? And yet God says, it hasn't even entered into my mind the things that God has prepared for us. You have a glorious destiny, and we need to think of that the way God thinks of that. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? You have a glorious destiny. And sometimes we settle for childish plans. Jonah settled for a childish plan. God told him to do something, and Jonah didn't like what God said. Has God ever showed you something in the Word, spoke something to your heart, and you go, hmm, I don't like that. I'm not doing that. 
I know none of you have ever done that. I have. I go, ooh, I don't like that, Lord. I mean, how am I going to do that? So Jonah decided to trust himself rather than God because who could believe that Nineveh could be saved? Nineveh would make Washington, D.C. blush. Nineveh would make Hollywood blush. Nineveh would make our world today just blush. So Jonah says, huh, I ain't going there and dying for a bunch of people I don't like anyway. So he ran from God. You can't outrun God, by the way. God has a way of getting your attention, doesn't he? And then Jonah repented. <laughs> you say, you really believe that story, Pastor? Through and through. Whatever that great fish was, when Jonah repented, it deposited him, to put it politely, on the shore. So Jonah could go preach to Nineveh. One little girl, she was asked, what did Jonah do while he was in the whale? She said he ran around until he got pooped out. <laughs> Wrong end of the whale. <laughs> but he got deposited on the shore, and God saved Nineveh. Son of mighty revival, even the king repented. Think Jonah was happy? No, because Jonah was childish. You see, if we're not careful, we'll choose childish rather than childlike plans. Dr. Francois Monod, who was a Nobel Award geneticist, very brilliant man, was being interviewed with Mother Teresa. I became fascinated with Mother Teresa after visiting the leprosorium, praying at her grave, <coughs> just asking the Lord to use me the way that he had used her and Mark Buntain. But they were being interviewed together, and Dr. Minot was telling the audience how that you're controlled by your genes. Now, think about telling somebody like me, talk about telling somebody like my grandson, Josiah, who's missing genes and has damaged genetic material, whose name means whom the Lord heals. Talk about telling somebody like us that our destiny is in our genes. Dr. Minot, this brilliant man, great thinker, great doctor, and how many of you know you can be brilliant, you can be smart, but not be wise? You see, Dr. Minot says, there's nothing you can do about it you are controlled by your genes. Your life will only go as far as your genes will allow you to go. And as he waxes on about this, Mother Teresa just sits there quietly. And so finally the interviewer looks at her and says, Mother Teresa, what do you have to say about that? And this woman who'd spent her life, this little shriveled up woman from Slovenia, who'd spent her life caring for the desperate, for the lepers, for the outcast, who'd shook President Bill and Hillary Clinton, who'd shook so many world leaders. She just simply looked up and said, I believe in love and compassion. And Dr. Minot said, if I had to hang around that woman, I'd lose my mind. I want to tell you something. There's more to your life 
than your genes. God has a glorious destiny for you. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you this morning before we get into this. Lord, I ask you to increase our faith. I ask you, Lord, to strengthen our faith. I ask you to move in this room this morning and change our minds. I ask you, Lord, for those who may not yet have committed their life to you or may even be sitting there thinking that I agree with Dr. Minot. God, I ask you to open our eyes to the glorious things that are in your word so that we can begin to see the destiny you have for us and that we will live like children of God, that we will live like sons and daughters that have been adopted and transformed by you, by the Lord God Almighty, ruler of heaven and earth. And then I pray that everything around us, Lord, every place we place our feet, every word we speak, will cause heaven and earth to rejoice. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And if you agree with me in that, say a big amen. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated and grab your notes this morning. Well, my change my destiny, first of all, by trusting in Jesus Christ. When I trust in Jesus and I look to Him and the power of His Word and I look to what He did for me at Calvary by shedding His blood, what He accomplished by His resurrection from the dead, what He's accomplishing in me, then ultimately the gospel begins to change my life. It's why we call Him the pearl of great price. It's why we call the gospel the greatest treasure in the world. Last summer, Jeff Murphy disappeared hiking in Yellowstone National Park. He was looking for the treasure that Forrest, the treasure that Forrest Finn has hidden somewhere. Forrest Finn, if you've followed the news, Forrest Finn has hid a treasure box worth about $2 million somewhere between the Rio Grande and the border of the United States with Canada. And Forrest tells people what's in the box, what it's worth, and he says, you need to remember it's somewhere between the southern border of the Rio Grande and somewhere between a northern border with Canada, but you need to remember that it's above 5,000 feet, and you also need to remember it's somewhere where only an 80-year-old man could get to. Well, people have been flying out west and flocking out west, and Jeff Murphy was a, was a vice president of a major company in Chicago, and he loves to hike. He's a nature lover. He loves to fish, and he's flown out west after studying the clues that Forrest Finn has left and decided he would go find the chest. And so after missing for several days, he organized a search party, and he had slipped and fell to his death in a chute in um, Yellowstone National Park. But what's interesting about that story is four people have already died looking for this $2 million treasure. And it's amazing how people go through looking for treasures. I was part of a meeting the other day, and I don't gamble, and I don't recommend that you gamble. I think it's a foolish thing to do, but somebody was telling us how, why we should buy at least two to $300 worth of lottery tickets and what chance we had of winning the lottery and what we would get if we won. And this guy was good. He was brilliant. And 
So he asked me, he says, how about you, pastor? Are you going to buy some lottery tickets? And I said, well, I've never gambled in my life. I'll be happy to give you $200, but I'm not going to buy $200 and gamble. And he looked at me and he says, why would you give it when you got a chance of getting this brand new pickup truck? And I said, because I love kids. And he goes, oh, Who would have ever thought you'd do something because you love somebody? Isn't it all about what's in it for me? Isn't it all about self-interest? Isn't it all about getting lucky and that somehow or another I'm going to hit the jackpot and score something for my life? Paul says something, I think, here about treasure that you need to look at carefully. And I'm going to read from the message because the word about is not in the New Living Trans- it's in the New Living Translation and it's in the NIV translation, but that word about is not in the Greek translation. And when you remove the word about, it makes a huge difference to the reading of the text. And it's one of those things that translators do trying to help us understand because the little phrase I'm going to point out to you, it sounds awkward without it, but by adding that word, in my opinion, and I'm certainly not the scholar that the NIV translators or the NLT translators were, but I do have a great deal of respect and trust in the Semitic skills of Eugene Peterson. And I'd like to ask you to pray for uh, Pastor Peterson this week. He has been admitted into hospice care. He's the translator of the uh, message translation of the Bible that's been a blessing to so many. And um, just pray for him. But as a Semitic scholar, he left that word out of the message translation. Let's look at it together. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. And that just doesn't sound right. You learned Christ. It's not you learned about Christ. You see, Paul begins with Jesus like we begin with our calendar. Paul begins with Jesus because all of my hopes, all of my dreams, everything, my confidence is centered in Christ. That's why hope doesn't disappoint. If my hope is that things are going to get better because I'm an optimist, maybe I'm going to be disappointed. If my hope is that the Democrats or the Republicans are going to make the nation better, maybe I'm going to be disappointed, and most likely I will be. But if my hope is centered in Christ Jesus, then I've got nothing to worry about because Jesus never fails. Can you say amen? He has always been and He always will be. And this phrase you learned about Christ, well, it's, it's an intimate phrase. It's a, it's a phrase that involves relationship. It's not learning about Jesus. You learned Christ because you entered into a relationship with Jesus. You learned Christ because there's this deep bonding and this deep union of your life together. So a new life doesn't begin with trying to change my sinful heart or my depraved heart. A, a new life doesn't begin with Scientology or any other religion like Buddhism or Hinduism. A new life doesn't begin with therapy. A new life begins when I confess my faith in Jesus Christ, and I ask Him to forgive me of my sins. Paul then goes on in verse, he says, since then we do not have the excuse of ignorance in everything. I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has got to go. In other words, you put off that old life. This is how he describes our old lives in sin. It is rotten through and through, and that makes people angry. Who are you to say that my life is rotten through and through. I, I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. How many of you have heard the saying, don't shoot the messenger? I'm just the messenger. 
God says that our life of sin is rotten through and through. And you can choose not to believe that. God gives you that right. You can choose to disbelieve that. But if you choose to believe that, then you've got to believe that all of history is depending upon your choices. All of history is depending upon your wisdom or the wisdom of Donald Trump or the wisdom of of Barack Obama or the wisdom of some other dead teacher like Confucius. And if that's the case, then friends, we have every reason to be scared out of our wits. We have every reason to be petrified if history depends upon that. But if history depends upon the one who gave his life for us, who conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, rose again, if history depends upon Jesus, we can also depend upon his word. Can you say amen to that? So sin is rotten through and through. Get rid of it and take on an entirely new way of life, a a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself, massaging, you know, kneading itself into your conduct is God accurately reproduces his old character in you. So what Paul is saying here is three things. Number one, give up your old way of life. Give up its deceit. Give up your selfishness. You are told that your foolish desires will destroy you and that you must give up your old way of life with all its bad habits. I like good habits, don't you? I love good, good habits sustain us. Good habits are the kinds of things that we do. We just don't think about them anymore. I don't know how long it takes to establish a habit. I've studied that, and everybody's got their own opinion. I just know that I have to work at maintaining my good habits every single day so that they're like muscle memory, so that I just do them. You know, I, there are some days, as I've told you before, I, I may miss part of my spiritual disciplines that I do each day. I never let a day go by without reading the Word or praying. Before there's food in my tummy, there's going to be the Word of God in my heart. I'm going to do that. I'm going to kneel before the Lord and seek His blessings for the day, His guidance, His direction and protection for my wife and my children, for you, for myself. I'm going to do that every day. It's like brushing my teeth. It's like drinking the water. It's, it's just getting down to business with God. It's muscle memory. But there are days that I might skip journaling in my journal, or there are days that I might not share Jesus with somebody that day, and, and I'm always looking for that chance. I don't worry about it if I miss a day. But if I hit two days like that, then I get worried because that's the beginning of a new habit. And so I pull myself up and I say, tomorrow things are going to be different. And I write it in my my calendar. I write it in my to-do list. I'm going to do these things. And I put a time for when I'm going to do it. And usually the best fishing spots for me are at a place like Starbucks or or a donut shop or someplace where I can meet people and just strike up a conversation conversation with them. So give up the old way of life with its bad habits. Let the Holy Spirit renew your mind is the second thing the Apostle Paul says. You see, this is a supernatural way of thinking. You've heard it said, like I've heard it said, you are what you eat. Boy, does that add a whole new deal. There are some of you in here I call my beloved food Nazis. You, sometimes, if you hear me talk about something I like to eat from the pulpit, you're going to call my hand on it. You're going to tell me why it's bad for me. And so when I see you coming, I try to go the other way because I don't want to be condemned, okay? But uh, we know that's true. Physically, we are what we eat. But did you know you are what you think? 
That's the reason I said at the beginning of this message, your beliefs shape your destiny. Your beliefs shape how you live. What you're thinking about is how you're going to speak to others and what you're going to do. And so the apostle Paul says, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Read that out loud with me. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking. One more time. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Well, what is this renewed mind? What is this changed way of thinking? It's seeing life the way God sees life. That's what a renewed mind is. It's seeing life the way God sees life. And that wonderful passage that Pastor Corey read to you, this is how God sees life. This is why Paul tells us in those first three chapters, he takes us all the way to outer space. We see these glorious concepts about God and Jesus and the church and you and I and our creation and who we are. And then he brings brings it right down to where we live at, and we understand how God sees our life, and then we begin to see things the way God sees it. And then finally, he says, put on your new nature, and that new nature, it's to be like Jesus. You were created by God. You were made to be like Jesus. You were created to be holy. Look at me now. Don't miss this. You were created to be holy. You were created to be loving. You were created to be kind. You were created to be generous. You were created to be creative. You were created in the image of God. And when you see Jesus and you love Jesus as you read about him in the scriptures or you sing about him in church, remember this. You were created, the Bible says, just a little lower than God that's the word is not angels, just a little lower than God. You were created to be like Christ. Friends, you are not some evolutionary product that came from goo to the zoo. You are a child of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Put on your new nature. Say it with me. Created to be like God. One more time. Created to be like God. One more time. Created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. And friends, that will change you. You are not the product of your genetic material. You are not the product of your uh, uh, environment. You were created in the image of God. And God can use you in ways that you've never dreamed of. But notice what Paul says, and this is so important. You can't put on the new until you put off the old. None of us would come in from working in the yard, in the mud, covered in grass if we've been mowing the lawn, working in the garden. We'd never come in and put on our clean clothes over the top of our old clothes. We'd never come in sweaty from a run and decide not to take a shower and put on clean clothes and go to the office because... Nobody would want to be around you. No clients would want to be around you. All of a sudden, we know we, we got to change. You, you know when you were, as parents, sometimes your son or your daughter thought they could fool you. They'd go run the shower for a little while. They'd read, do something, turn the water off, run to their room and change clothes. They'd come out, there'd be those rings under their neck. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Or were your kids all saints? 
You know, you, you put off the old. You let Jesus cleanse you. The Bible says, look at Matthew 9, 17. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure. Your old life cannot handle the presence of the Holy Spirit. The old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the new skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. You can't defeat sin. You can't defeat your old habits until first of all, you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you invite him to come into your life and he takes away the old and brings in the new. Can you say amen this morning? Hallelujah. I meet people all the time frustrated with religion or frustrated. I've heard them tell me, I'm tired of trying to be good. I'm tired of trying to, to be religious. Nobody's asking you to be good. No one at Woodland is asking you to be religious. But we are asking you to recognize and accept the necessity of inviting Jesus Christ into your heart simply by saying, Jesus I need your mercy. I need the forgiveness of your sins. I need the new life that you bring. And when you pray that sincerely, God hears your prayer and takes away your old life and makes you into a brand new creation. You say, that sounds too good to be true. That's why we call it the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? You see... When I ask Christ to forgive me of my sins, when you ask Christ, look at me now, don't miss this. When you ask Christ to forgive you of all your sins, it frees you to become the person God created you to be. It frees you to become the man, the woman, the couple, the family, the church. When you ask him to come into your life, suddenly you're free. That's why... Back in the day, you heard that song sang by a group of young Christian rappers. Toby Mac would lead out and go, I'm free, I'm free at last, free from all the sins of my past, free from all those burdens. And back in the day, I would watch, and maybe sometimes even when I was a lot younger then, I would try to jump with them, and I just can't do that anymore all the time. And they would sing, I'm free, I'm free, and they would do that 30 minutes singing those songs in youth conventions. I got a letter this week from a young man who heard me speak in another district, and he says, I just want you to know my life has been changed. I'm free from the past. I'm free from my habits. I'm free from my sins. My life has been changed since I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And as I sat there remembering where he was writing me from, I can see those young people jumping because so many of them have been subjected to a life of drugs and alcohol and broken families and pornography that's been a part of their lives since they were children. And to be free, you cannot imagine until you have given in your heart to Jesus, you can't begin to imagine what freedom is because you've never been free. And B.F. Skinner and Dr. Manoa are wrong. Your future is not shaped by your genes. You have been created to be like Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And yet my choices matter. My choices and the habits I establish matter because somehow or another, now listen, somehow or another, God is setting your future through the choices you make. 
God is in control of everything. God is in control of every hair that falls from your head, every bird that falls from the sky, every leaf falling from the trees right now. But God says your future is shaped by the choices that you make to follow Him. What does that mean for you and me? Well, for you and me, if we believe in Jesus, it's a life of peace, it's a life of joy, it's a life of righteousness. It's a life of power. But if you reject Jesus, then I can understand why you become so fatalistic and so futile about life. I can understand why so many people give up and want to take their own lives. Because suddenly, if all they are is shaped by their genetic material or as B.F. Skinner says, you have no free will, then suddenly, life just seems very, very crazy. So I just want to ask you a question. If you're not a Christian, think about your life 10 years ago. Are you better or worse today, as President Ronald Reagan used to ask? Because if you don't make the right choices, you're going to be in the same place you are today, 10 years from now. You may have more money, But you haven't changed. Matter of fact, you may have become worse. You may have a better office, a better job, but is your husband going to stay with you? Is your wife going to stay with you? Are your children going to continue to love you? You see, Christ makes the difference. It is why Christians have hope for the future because we know and we trust the one who gave us all for us And the choices we make are intended to bless us, to bless those around us, and to cause even the earth to rejoice around us. You say, how would the earth rejoice? Well, when we are good stewards of everything that God has given us, how can the earth help not but rejoice? We're not the ones trying to rip off the planet and hurt other people. We're trying to take care of things. Can you say amen to that? And let me see if I can just kind of take you a little further because... That means I've got to make a choice to close the loopholes in life. Now, it's a good translation about footholds. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, leave no loophole for the devil is how the New English Bible puts it. I memorized that from that. As a matter of fact, I went back and got my old Bible from Southeastern that I used for one of my theology classes, the New English Bible translation, and was looking at my notes, and, and here our professor had us to look at this and to underline it. He wanted us to get this idea of footholds because we understood in politics how there were loopholes. We understood how legally there were loopholes, and maybe you've been involved in a suit or you've been involved in something that didn't go the way it was supposed to go in good faith because somebody found a loophole. Well, a foothold or a loophole, however you want to put it, the devil is always looking for those cracks and those fissures in our life because of the choices we're making. And you may not think it's a big deal. Look at me now. Don't miss this. You may not think it's a very big deal, 
But I was talking to Becky about my message this weekend and just kind of getting her thoughts and her insight. And she said, do you remember when we climbed that mountain this year when we went rock climbing? She says, who would have ever dreamed with those tiny little cracks we could barely get our fingers in? We could barely get the edge of our foot in. We could climb the face of that mountain because of the tiny cracks and the fissures in there. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't make poor choices. Don't make wrong choices. Will you allow the devil to worm his way in? one little slit, one little foothold, one little loophole at a time because what he is trying to do is to come in and destroy your faith, destroy your life, destroy your relationships, destroy everything that God has meant for you to have because you have made choices probably like I have from time to time that have given him a foothold in your life and you go, why is life turning out this way? I'm a Christian. It's because we have allowed unconfessed sin to rule in our hearts. You see, there's something about confessing our sin that is good for us. It's why Jesus taught us to pray daily, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive one another. If I refuse to confess my trespasses, if I refuse to forgive you of your trespasses, the devil has found a slit, a crack, a foothold, a loophole in my life and begins to worm his way into my thinking. It's why Paul gets very stern. He's been at this 50,000 foot level. We have have been blessed by learning about who God is, then he brings the wood down. And he says, so stop, look with me, stop telling lies to each other. Let's tell our neighbors the truth. We're all part of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. No, nobody in the church at Ephesus would steal. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. Give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own. Paul's not writing to lost people. Paul's writing to us. And this is left as God's word for us. So let me look quickly with you at this passage what I see here. Instead of lying, Paul is saying, be honest. Learn to tell the truth. Becky, and I say this with all, Becky is the best thing outside of Jesus that ever happened to me. I love her with everything in my life. She is the kindest, most generous, compassionate person I know. She's smart. She's brilliant. I'm trying to dig myself out of that hole Wednesday night, Bob. (laughs) I mean it all. But years and years ago, long before we moved to Michigan, Becky bought a book entitled How to Be a Really Nice Person. I looked at that book and I said, what'd you buy that for? You're the nicest person I know. If everybody could be like you, Becky. And she goes, no, I, I just want to learn how to be kinder, how to be nicer to people. And then one day she bought me the book. I still remember, you know, in our bedroom, she bought it to show it to me. And the author of the book was encouraging you to be nice, you had to learn how to lie. And, of course, as Christians, we go, we can't do that. Now, let me be transparent here for just a moment. If somebody gets a bad haircut and you look at them, don't go bad haircut. Just go, got a haircut. (laughs) If your wife asks you, does this make me look fat? Don't fall into that trap. Don't say, honey, you need a backup signal. Beep, 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 beep in that dress. You're going to live to regret it. 
If your husband asks you, he says, you know, do I look like whoever his favorite actor is? Say, you're getting there. (laughs) You know, just, there's these social conventions, but not lying. You see, the reason Paul had to write this, now follow because, you know, we live in Western culture. Western culture was built upon the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Well, I mean, we know that. And yet a recent study of high school students said 75% of them admit to cheating on their tests. Time Magazine recently did an article in their magazine. Get this. I thought this was the most hilarious thing. How to tell when a politician is lying. (laughs) Duh. We live in an age of fake news. We live in an age where we hear the president talk about fake news, and we live in an age where the Washington Post has their Pinocchio counter, and his nose gets bigger, and they're always calling the president. I mean, who do you trust these days? And yet, in the church should be a place, a place where we learn to be honest and kind. Let me show you what the Gentiles who came out of that culture, that Greek culture in Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was in Turkey. Greek culture ruled the world. Darius wrote to Herodotus, when telling a lie that will be profitable, let it be told. Maximus wrote, there is nothing to chorus in truth, but when it is profitable, yes, sometimes truth is hurtful and lying is profitable to men. The writings you were all encouraged to read in high school and you lied and said you did and you didn't, Plato, he said, he may lie who knows how to do it in a suitable time. He'd have made a good politician. You see, what Paul is doing is he's telling these Gentiles who live in a culture where it's culturally acceptable, but it's how you progress in culture to lie. And they've come into the church and says, you got to stop lying to each other. And the reason is because lies hurt all of us. If I preach a lie from this pulpit, if I tell you a lie, I'm not just hurting you and hurting myself. I'm hurting the body of Christ. One author wrote, he says, it's like when you lie, it's like one hand holding the hammer and the other hand telling the thumb, this ain't going to hurt. It hurts all over. And if you're like me and you've ever missed several times, You just ask somebody else to hammer the nail in. Second thing Paul says, instead of being angry, resolve the issue. I mean, it's okay to get angry. Pity the man or woman who can't get angry about some things. There are things that make me angry. I was so angry when they threw Pastor Brunson into jail in Turkey because we all knew we've got missionaries there. My, uh, my son's girlfriend was recently there in Turkey doing evangelism work and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and she and I were sitting around the summer talking. And as we were talking about what she'd done in Turkey, I asked her, I said, did you ever feel afraid? She says, there were places and times we had to be very careful where we were at. And she said, but she looked at me and she says, there were so many people who wanted to hear the gospel. There were so many people willing to engage with us, and tears began to flow down Rachel's face as she was telling us about the hunger and the interest that people have in Christ. And what a blessing it was this week to see Pastor Brunson released. And I don't know if you saw, but I called some of the staff into my office, and we watched the video of him praying with the president this week. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? It was powerful. 
Bashford Bishop, one of my professors in college, encouraged me to read Chrysotom. He called him the golden tongue preacher. I remember when I got my first book of sermons by Chrysotom, I realized those were sermons that were deeper than what I had heard before. But listen to what Chrysotom wrote about anger, living in a time of persecution. He said, he who is not angry when he has caused to be sins, unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and it incites not only the wicked, but also the good to do wrong. What Paul is saying and Chrysotom is expounding upon from this passage is not that it's wrong to be angry, but it's wrong to let anger get a foothold in your life and refuse to resolve the issue. The Greek word for anger is mad. It means to lose your mind. That's the reason we talk about mad dogs and mad cow disease. But to get angry means there are things that make us angry, but we resolve them. Because if you don't resolve them, if you don't take charge of it and say, we need to talk, we need to come to a resolution, bitterness creeps into that relationship. Bitterness creeps into your heart and it poisons everything you do. And the Bible says the devil gets a foothold and he begins to climb up into your life and into your thought. And soon every person you see and everything you think is shaded by your unresolved anger and your mistrust of people. But when it's resolved, then we learn how to truly get along with one another, even our lost friends and neighbors. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that as well? He tells the church, instead of being a thief, work hard at good work and be generous. Instead of being a thief. You see, a Christian gives an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. An honest day's work for an honest day's pay. I, can I harp on Facebook again? <laughs> you just have to forgive me. But that study I shared with you a couple of weeks ago where the average executive is only spending about two and a half hours time really working. I track my time so I know how I spend my time. I, Facebook is not on my phone. I don't want to be caught into that trap. But today... So many of us are realizing the effect that social media is having upon us. Before we've known it, we've blown a half an hour. And our employers are watching us. Our employers are looking at us. And the way we work tells about our faith in Jesus. We don't want to steal. We want to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And then when we leave, we want to have left productive and fruitful so that the company we've worked for has been blessed and so that we become the most valuable employees on the staff, that you're the most highly prized people on the staff. And that way, when cuts come and eventually Detroit will have another economic downturn, if our history holds true, eventually it's going to happen again. The auto industry will shudder. The auto industry will have a difficult time and everybody will be affected. But the people who give their best and they're the most fruitful and they're the most productive, they're going to be the employees that are kept. Can you say amen to that? And so we, we don't, we, we would never maybe think about stealing from somebody, but we want to work hard, but we want to do good work and we want to be generous. We're coming upon Christmas. I just got my first Christmas email this week. I can save 30% right now by shopping early for Christmas. 
Isn't that a grab your attention, save 30%? It said, you know you want it. You know your wife wants it. Save 30%. Somebody else got the same email, and they called me and says, did you get your email to save 30%? Guess what? We're going to all be buying. We're going to all be shopping for Christmas and stuff like that. And come Christmas morning, we're going to go, what am I going to do with all this stuff? What are my kids going to do with all this stuff? You know, why do I, some of this stuff I didn't even want and now I've got, who can I give it to next year? And then tomorrow, the next morning, December 26th, when we wake up, we're going to read the paper and it's going to say, everything, 50 to 75% off. And we run to the mall because we got to have more. After all, it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> we live in a society built upon greed. Paul is saying, learn to be generous. I love Frank and Ernest. Frank and Ernest are sitting on a bench. Frank says, I read that you got to choose somebody to make happy. I chose me. <laughs> That's the culture that we live in today. And then Paul says, instead of being abrasive, be an encourager. I often tell people my greatest healing was not my physical healing. It was the healing God did inside my heart. Sticks and stones may break your bones, that's true. But words can break your heart. And some people spend a lifetime trying to get over the things that others have said to them. If words weren't powerful, now listen, if words were not powerful and what you say to people were not powerful, there'd be a lot of therapists out of work. There'd be a lot of counselors out of work. There'd be a lot of psychologists out of work. When I recently checked, there's many of them can't take any more clients, especially the Christian counselors. They're just book solid. Because words can break your heart. There are children trying to get, I've taken grown men to the graves of their daddies and mamas for them to pray and just say, Dad, Mom, I forgive you. I know they can't hear. Done it at Michigan Memorial. I've done it at the Catholic Cemetery over here. You see, words can break your heart. And the things that we can say to each other are words of cruelty and hatred and prejudice. And you need to listen to me. God will hold you responsible for what you're hearing right now. A flapping tongue, a gossipy mouth does more for the devil than all the gin joints and bars and strip clubs in the world do. Because our words have the power to heal or to kill. The word used there is diablos. And we need to understand what this evil talk does. When I, listen, to, when I look at this carefully, and I look at that I'm created to be like Christ Jesus, I can't speak a word and create a planet. I can't speak a word and create a plant. 
I can't speak a word and create a work of art. But you and I created the image of God. We can speak words that heal people. We can speak words that bless people. We can speak words that strengthen people. We can speak words that encourage people. And you say, Pastor, that sounds so optimistic and positive. Pardon me for your doubt. I didn't say it. God said it. He said, let every word you speak be a benefit and an encouragement to other people. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Say, Pastor, why are you so passionate about that? Because week after week, I'm dealing with people whose hearts have been broken by the words that people speak into them. And you were created to be like Jesus, to bless and to heal. I want you to look. Now, don't do this if you don't know the person next to you, because that would be weird. But I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you just to tell them something about their life that encourages you. I'm going to give you just a minute. Something about their life that encourages you, that blesses you. Don't look at me. Look at them. Something that blesses you. Encourage them today. You're sitting next to your mama. Tell your mama how she blessed you. You told each other? Now, let me ask you this. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are saying, you need to be quiet now. Let me go home. (laughs) I can see what's going on. How many of you feel better now? Can I see your hand? Sure. Somebody has just spoke into your life. And then finally this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come up to the stage. I will walk in the love of the Spirit. I will walk in the love of the Spirit. This passage to me is filled with more pathos than anything else in the whole chapter. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. How in the world, how in the world can I, to God Almighty, bring sorrow to Him? God who created that heaven and earth, God who created those majestic views that we get from the Hubble telescope, the Grand Canyon I told you about, the mountains, God who says you're not determined by your genes, I can hurt God. I can hurt God by failing to incorporate these good habits into my life. Do not bring sorrow by the way you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own. You belong to Him. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Instead, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The kindness God has shown you, show it to somebody else. The tenderness God has shown you, show it to somebody else. The forgiveness God has given you, give it to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, every crack, every fissure, Every foothold, every loophole begins to disappear because as you give what's been given to you, God heals and restores your life. Look, He loved you as as we sang this morning. Melody did such a good job leading that song. He loved me in the beginning. He loved me before I could ever speak a word. 
He loved me when I was just a speck in my mother's womb. God loved me. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. He brought me to Jesus. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws him. He guided my footsteps to Jesus Christ. He guided my thoughts, my heart. He brought you here this morning so you would hear this message that Jesus loves you. I sang it on the way to church this morning and prayed that every one of you would grasp its depth and meaning. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loves you. He's here to direct you to Jesus. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He comforts me in all my troubles. I'm not saying you're not going to have problems and you're not going to have trouble. Why else would David said, I look up into the mountains, which comes my help. There's going to be problems in life. Jesus says, if you live for me, there's going to be persecution. But he tells us, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? God will do that for you. God will help you. Say, Pastor, I'm not a compassionate man. God will make you a compassionate man. You might say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm just not into all that touchy-feeling. I'm not either. Don't get in my bubble if I don't know you. And if I know you, there's only so far you can get in my bubble. I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I don't think God's a touchy-feely God. He's an all-consuming fire. He's a Father that invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace covered by the blood of Jesus. But he's a compassionate father. He's a forgiving father. And he'll make you tender and compassionate. He helps me pray. I love to pray. Prayer is not about how many words you say or how many minutes you say. Prayer is something you do through all the day. He helps me. And sometimes I don't know how to pray. Last night as I was walking around the sanctuary and we were praying for people, I just, some of them I had no idea that was on our prayer list. And People were gathered, people were in the altar, people were walking and we were praying and I found myself just praying in the Spirit and saying, Lord, I don't know how to pray for them right now, but help me. And the Holy Spirit just made that intercession. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Because I trust God. Trust God. Look at what the Bible says. He helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. He helps me pray. And God will pull me through. I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. Look at me. By the grace, by the blood, by the power, by the word of Jesus Christ, you're going to make it. You may not like what you're going through, but you're going to make it. You may not like where you're at today, but you're going to make it. And you don't have to stay there. God won't keep you there. God won't make you linger there. But if you will follow Jesus, if you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. Hallelujah. He'll pull you through. So get up and follow him in this new way of life. There's more to come. We continue to shut our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know 
how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And that patience forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In such alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to do this morning. This is why the band is on the platform. I want you to gather every container of your faith, every resource of your faith. I want you to gather your thoughts and your heart right now. And I'm going to invite you to come, the whole church, and let's stand in this altar together. And let's ask God to fill us with the resource of His grace and to fill us with His Holy Spirit again while we sing its song one more time. And if you need to sit, you feel free to sit on these front pews. But let's come and gather at the front of the church right now, would you, at the altar. Hallelujah. Let's go. Not against me, I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Sun sets free, oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen. Not forsaken. Hallelujah. I am who you say I am. You are for me. Not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen. Not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Now, would you just lift your hands to Him? Let the band sing. And would you ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit? Would you ask him to make you who he says you are? Forget about who you say you are for just a moment. And right now, just say, God, I want to be who you say I am. Where do you want to be 10 years from now? What do you want your destiny to be for you and your children? Seek him for that right now. God, yes, I am. I'm a child of God, yes I am, in my Father's house, 
There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I want you just to wait in His presence. And guys, if you all just continue to sing very softly. Now you've asked God to fill you. So let's deal with some business here. First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you got to put off the old before you can put on the new. So I'm just asking you to think and to make a choice. Do you want to be the same way you are 10 years from now? Or is this morning, have you become persuaded in your mind, in your heart, that Jesus is who he says he is and that you need his forgiveness? If you do, I just want you to, I'm not going to guide you in what to say, but I just want you to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I don't understand it all but I want to commit my life to you with everything I have. Amen. I want a fresh start. Hallelujah. And while you're praying, God's listening. You just talk to him. You kneel if you want to. You weep if you want to. You sit if you want to, but you talk to Jesus, and I'm going to come back to you in just a moment. But you know, if you have a problem with lying, and let's be honest, sometimes we do. Would you confess that to the Lord right now? And if you've been lied to, would you give others the forgiveness that God has given you? Just pray about it right now. Sometimes when time elapses for such a long time, there's not an opportunity to go resolve an issue. There's not an opportunity to, to go to someone and say, hey, can we, can we just sit down? Maybe we're not agree on everything, but we're committed in Christ to love one another. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. It takes courage. I know. Resolve the issue. And if you need help, ask your small group. Let them pray with you and help you there. See one of the pastors or let us help you get counseling. You don't want to damage your kids your spouse, 
and your anger. And I don't believe anyone here is guilty of this, but let's just deal with it. It's in the Word. If there's a problem with laziness and you're not working hard, you're not doing good work, you're doing, you know what you got to do to get by? And you brought into the lie that, you know, it really doesn't matter. Would you repent of that? And would you commit today to doing the best you know how? And maybe even learning how to do things better. I, I work hard at trying to be a better preacher and a better pastor. <laughs> I have to. I mean, I have to. I have to every day. I just, you have to work hard at growing and improving. And would you commit to becoming a generous person? with your time, with your talent, and with your treasure. Oh, you'll be happy if you do that. And then would you commit this morning, I'm going to be an encourager. You see, these are all marks of a spirit-filled person. These are all marks of a spirit-filled person that knows how to encourage and to build up. That's like the Father, a giver, not a taker. Forgiving. Angry at the right time, but resolving the issue. So let me pray for you. Lord, because it was so fresh this morning, I felt like it was a word from you for me and for the church. I pray that this message has done this. I pray with thanksgiving. You guide me with your counsel. You have guided the church. You have guided these that have prayed the prayer of faith. And Lord, you are leading us to what you describe is a glorious destiny. I can't wait to see that. And so now, my Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless this church. I bless this church with the word of the Lord that each day God's word and God's spirit will be your guide. You will know the way to walk wherein. You will hear in your spirit when to turn to the right and when to turn to the left, when to go forward and when to stand fast and firm in your faith. I will guide you with my good counsel, you say in your word, Lord. We will have good counsel. We will not be ruled by the poor counsel of this world and the unbelieving world. We respect, we respect brilliance and intelligence, Lord, but we long for wisdom that comes from God. And we thank you that, Lord, ahead of us and right now, we have got a foretaste of it in the filling of the Holy Spirit. There is a glorious destiny for each of us. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray and bless the church today. Amen and amen and amen. Can we give him another hand of praise? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God.